Hi, this is Chris Stewart from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. Please reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at oasisathens at gmail.com. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, we want to continue to serve and minister to the needs of our community. May God bless you today, and we hope you enjoy this message from Oasis Church in Athens, Ohio. So this will be commandment number six, and we're doing commandment number six because that's where we're at. We did uh, five two weeks ago, and then four last week because we, we skipped uh, Remember the Sabbath so that we could talk about uh, honoring your father and mother on, on Father's Day. And, uh, and so we decided that we would uh, come right back into it today and do commandment number six, which is a commandment where we're going to talk about, um, well, we're going to decide today who lives and who dies, right? <laughs> so that's, that's sort of what we're talking about today. So open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20 if, you, if you've got a Bible there at home, but it's going to be really simple because we're going to look at one verse. Ultimately, we're going to look at one word, but here is uh, here's what we're going to find as we read this together. Exodus chapter twenty, <clears throat> excuse me, verse thirteen. Oh my bad. There it is. You shall not murder. That's it. You shall not murder. Now this was originally written in Hebrew, <clears throat> the Hebrew language. And it's been translated into English today, but don't let that bother you. This is the best translated book in the history of the world, to be honest. And it's actually two words here. So when we translate the Hebrew language to our English language, this verse comes up really as only two words. And so today, our entire sermon, our entire message is around two words, and those two words are no murder. That's, that's commandment number six, no murder. And so the first word really is uh, not debated. The word no means no, right? None, none, no, nothing, no, no, no murder. Um, and so we're not going to really have to break down that word because uh, it's pretty simple to understand, right? No means no. The second word, however, is where we're going to spend the better part of uh, 25, 30 minutes or so looking at its meaning and its implications. Um, it's one singular word, but it, there, around it comes some, so much confusion and so much, I think, misunderstanding, but not just misunderstanding, so much um, argument about what, this, what is actually being meant here. Um, and uh, so because all of Scripture is, is God-breathed and profitable for us and every single word counts, um, we're just going to look at this word, murder, and the fact that God says, you shall not murder. There are like 18 different words that you can find in the Old Testament that refer to killing of various kinds and sorts. So if you're, you know, it, 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 the idea here today, we're talking about, you know, killing. And I know that's, a, and I know that that is a, you know, it's it's a pretty fresh topic right now in our culture. Um, you know, and and because we've had, 
you know, we've had recently had a, a, a killing of, 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 you know, not just not, not just one person. It's happened way too often. And then people want to ask, is, you know, is it accidental? Is it murder? And how does this how do these things happen? You know, is there is there such a thing? Is there even such a thing? And and, and so I know that, the, that this can be a, a quite a hot topic today. But really, all my goal is to do is just to is to basically, hopefully, share with you what what I have found in my own study about what I what this this verse means and what this commandment means that God has given us that we shall not murder. I think one of the reasons why this verse becomes so confusing is because many of you probably grew up uh, hearing and learning the Bible from a translation of scripture called the King James translation of the Bible. And the King James translation is a, is another, it's a really good English translation. We're very, got, we should be very thankful for it, but it's an older style of English. And in that older translation, it, it doesn't use the correct word. Actually, it uses the word kill. It says thou shalt not Kill and so many of you that that becomes very familiar. That this this as you read through the, the Ten Commandments and as you see them posted on murals and walls and things like that. Often it's the it's the King James version. And when you get to the Sixth Commandment, it says, "Thou shalt not kill." Well, what this could lead to when when you hear it this way and you come to believe in it in this way is it can lead you to all kinds of false thinking about this particular commandment. What I mean by that is, should you never defend yourself? Should you hold a position of extreme pacifism? If you learn thou shalt not ever kill, for example, if someone breaks into your home and they're ready to harm your family, should you take a stance of, of I'm not gonna do anything and therefore they're gonna harm your family and potentially kill your family rather than you defend yourself and actually kill them in, in self-defense. Those are the kinds of implications that come about, come about when we have such a huge misunderstanding of one word in the Bible. And what, I, what, I, what, I, what we need to understand is this, and I think this is very clear. I don't think that this can really, it is argued. It's strange to me that it's argued, but it is. And, and the, I'm going to make this statement, and that is God is not a pacifist. God, the God that we serve is not a God. The Bible does not present God as a pacifist. Only a very selective, prejudicial reading of some of what the scripture says could lead you to that position. In fact, that's the way we get a lot of really poor, a lot of really bad positional stances on things in scripture is rather than looking at the totality of scripture, people want to pick and choose particular verses and say, and build a case for this belief or this understanding. And the Bible does not tell us thou shalt not kill. That just simply isn't what the Bible says. And it's very, dis it's discouraging that for hundreds of years, that's the only translation that many people learn because what the literal verse says is that we should not murder, do not murder. And so this is really important to make that distinction because when you say that verse, obviously it's referring to things, you know, in our terminology today, like manslaughter and violent and unauthorized killing, personal vengeance and revenge and just good old fashioned murder, you know. And so I think we should probably just use a few examples just to get you thinking about this, thinking through it a little bit. And this is a, this is a, 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 a it's an awkward conversation, but it's, it's just, it's a, it's a very real thing. We should talk about it. So what, what would constitute, in your mind, what constitutes murder? For example, does an accidental death 
constitute this, does that, a breaking of that command of like, if you have a, an accidental car accident, for example, is that considered murder? Um, a self-defense killing, a soldier in a just war, for example, are all of those qualifying as murder? I think scripturally speaking, as our, as we understand the Bible and the whole, and the totality of its teaching, no, those things do not constitute murder. Those are different than things like when I say infanticide or euthanasia or suicide, taking your own life, acts of terrorism, um, do those things constitute murder? Actually planning out a killing and doing it, take, carrying it out, yes or no? Obviously, that, that has a much different understanding to what, what it is. And, and those are the things that, that this command in particular are, is talking about. So what does that mean then? What does that mean? It, it means, it sounds like, Chris, that what you're saying is that, that there are ways, perhaps, that taking a life could be considered to be justified. And there are obviously, we know that there are certain ways that taking a life would be unjustified. And part of the complexity of this means that we can't just simply say, you should never kill. The fact is, we need to put some really serious restrictions on ourselves so that there is no such thing, so that we don't have a mass murder or terrorism or anarchy or unjust war and things like that, just so that we're out of control or slaughtering of innocent civilians. I mean, those are, those are huge atrocities and huge issues that would indeed go against this particular command. And so what we're going to try to do is we're going to try just for the next few minutes just to unpack exactly what does God mean when he says in verse 13, do not murder or you shall not murder or no murder. Just that's the literal translation from the Hebrew. Are there occasions where human life could be taken and it's not considered murder? Those are rare but there are some where God specifies that is the, that is the case. And I know it leads to a lot of questions. For example, you know, um, you know I, well, I just want to say, I, my hope today is, I know I'm not going to answer all the questions. That, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have answers to all the questions myself. I mean, we see, we see as through a glass dimly, Paul says, we can't fully understand everything. And, and this, can, this, this can be such a uh, polarizing topic to talk about, but I hope that we can at least answer some of these questions in our mind with the scripture in our hands. We live in a day, um, you know, I guess one of the one of the biggest and most important questions that we should ask ourselves is why is it wrong? That's if, if God says don't do it, well, don't murder, why is it wrong? Well, it, it, that might you might think, well, that's an easy an question to answer, but the problem is we live in a day of this thing called situational ethics, where we believe that 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 God is not the center of our thinking and our decision making, but rather we are the center. We put ourselves in the center, and laws are therefore not binding on all people, all times, and all places. Ethics are situational. There's thing called thing this thing called situational ethics. We don't turn outwardly to find truth. That's a big one. We don't look somewhere else to find truth. We don't look here to find truth. We don't look to God to find truth. So what happens is when you have everybody in a culture who looks inwardly to find truth and, and, you're, and you're being told that's how you find truth. In fact, people use words like, what is your truth? What is my truth? There is no such thing as, a, as, a, as, a, as, as varying truths. In some situations, there may be versions that people think that believe are true, but the fact is there is in all things 
truth. There is truth. And, and when God defines that for us, when we no longer look to God to define that for us, what we end up having is, is we have a, a whole society of people who determine what truth is from an internal standpoint. And that's not, that's not the way God designed us. And here's why. Here's why. Because God is, and this is, and, what, and I'm, of course I'm saying this as one who believes that we have a God who has created us. If you don't believe that, then you're going to think everything I'm talking about today is just bullcrap, and that's fine. But I know many of you who are watching and listening believe the same thing, that there is a, a God who is an authority, sovereign authority, and he has created the heavens and the earth. So if you believe that, here's what we have. The Bible says that God is the author of life. God is the one who is sovereign over all of life. Therefore, God has all authority over human life. And that's exactly what it's going to say in Genesis chapter. So the, the, the book previous to Exodus, the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, it says this, Whoever sheds the blood of a man by men shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. So in the book just prior to Exodus here, book of Genesis, it says that you should not kill anyone. You should not murder anyone. Let's be, let's be specific to what it says. If you murder someone, then you too shall be killed because people bear the image and likeness of God. This is biblical thinking. This is not evolutionary thinking. And that's the, what I mean by that is most of us today, even in Christian circles, carry a little bit of evolutionary thinking, which basically says that human beings are just lucky. We're just lucky animals, you know, and biblical thinking says, no, human beings are image bearers of God. All the way back in Genesis, God made everything. He made the, 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 the grass and the trees and the animals, the birds of the air and the animals that roam the ground. And he made human beings. He made, it says he made, he made all of these things and he loved them and he provided for them. He loved these animals. He cared for them. It talks about the birds of the air and the beasts of the field and the fish in the sea. And then God makes man and woman alone in his own image. The only created beings that he makes in his image and in his likeness. And so what that means is human beings are in a category that's a special category. It's, a, it's, 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 it's above the animals. It's, it's a little, it's below God and above the animals. So that's kind of where we sit, right? And so I guess there's going to be multiple layers to the sermon. This is the anthropology portion of the sermon. And we're, and, and we've, we're going to get into ethics and anthropology and theology and, and uh, hopefully not too much politics, but obviously in a, in a topic like this today, there is, there's a little bit of politics. So it could go in a lot of directions, but here's the point. There's one God and he is above us and the animals that he, uh, that he created are beneath us. We occupy a place under God and over the animals. And there are people who, and the reason I say that is because they're, when, when I say that we adopt sometimes a little bit of evolutionary thinking, people with evolutionary thinking don't believe that. For example, the founder of the organization PETA, the People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, have a famous phrase. This person had a famous phrase, and that phrase was, a pig is a dog is a rat is a boy. A pig is a dog is a rat is a boy. We don't believe that. We don't believe, we love our animals. Trust me, I love, I love my animals. Uh, I, I've got a, I've got a golden doodle. There's, there's a golden doodle sitting right there on Brock's lap right now in this living room. And we love those golden doodles, right? I, sluggers, sluggers are golden. What's slugger doing right now? Is he laying down? He's snoozing. He's chilling. You know, we love them, but here's the thing. We're, we don't believe in cruelty. We're not going to, we treat them well. We, you know, we go out in the yard and play fetch and my goodness, these dogs are probably treated better than a lot of humans. But 
here's the thing. If, if my house was on fire, because I, I, I've got two, two children, now they're, they're grown children, but they're here living in the house. So let's just say that my house is on fire. And one of my kids couldn't, you know, if I could go in, if I, if I, if, you know, April's out, she got out, I got out and we're like, okay, where's the kids and the dog, right? I run back in, maybe Brock's trapped downstairs in his room. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to bust my tail to get him out and I get him out and Kaylee's out or I get him out and I, and, and then the, and I go back in to get Kaylee, but I only have time to get one sluggers in here and Kaylee's in here. I'm not going to flip a coin in that instant. In fact, there's not even going to be a hesitation, obviously. I'm going to no longer have a golden doodle in that moment. I'm going to have. I'm going to make sure that I, I I save my family, my children. Why? Because we are above the animals. Animals are not created in the image and in the likeness of God. Animals do not bear the image of God, and they do not. They they, they there there is no. There's no evidence of that in the scripture. It doesn't mean that we should mistreat animals and be cruel to animals, not advocating for that at all. But I am saying that human life is of higher value than animal life. And God, in fact, goes on to tell us that we are to subdue the earth and rule over the animals in the earth. And that means that if you need animals for your sustenance, then that is why God gave them to us. Human beings bear the image and likeness of God. Jesus died for people and people will be judged by God and live forever because people possess this thing called a soul, which means that we will endure and live forever. That though our body dies, our soul lives for all eternity. People alone, we are the only created beings who have that, who bear the image and likeness of God. And so when it comes to murder, the issue is God says, don't kill anyone, not because, well, that's not nice or that's rude or it's inconsiderate, but actually it's a much bigger issue. And the issue is because they bear my image. That's what he says in Genesis 9, because people bear my image. That's why. And so to murder a person is not only to do violence against the person, but to do violence against the God who made that person. And this is where the Bible does not distinguish between you know, those things that are, that are sinful and those things that are criminal when it comes to the Ten Commandments, right? To murder is not just a, a, a civic social issue, but to murder is a God issue. That's what he's saying. These are God issues here. It's an offense not just against the person, but it's an offense against God who, was, who made this person in his image and in his likeness. So when you murder a person, you're declaring war on God because, God, because you're attacking the person who bears the image that God bestowed upon them. All people, all people are made in the image and the likeness of God. All people bear dignity and value and worth. And all people are to be treated with love and value and equality and justice and respect. That is what the Bible teaches. I don't know how anyone can pick up the Bible and suggest that it does not teach that. That is what the Bible teaches. And is that not the big argument of today? Is that not the big problems that we face today? Believe me when I say this, if you want justice, if you'd like equality, if you want dignity, well then believe the Bible. Because apart from the anthropology that the Bible share has to share, you don't get it. You're not going to find equality out there somewhere else. 
You're just not. You're not going to find dignity out there somewhere else. You're not going to find the kind of value for human life that you find in the Bible. You just can't. So let's get back to this command here, and let's, 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 let's talk about this a little bit. When it comes to the issue of murder, what we see, there's actually, a, it's, Jesus in, in John chapter 8 brings up another layer to this whole issue. It's actually like, it's a, it's a demonic issue. It's not just a social issue. Jesus says in John eight forty four to a certain group of people who want to murder him. Here, I'll read it. He says, you are of your father, the devil. That's what he says. You're of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So it says, you are like your father. So these people come, they want to murder Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, you're just like your father, the devil. He's been a murderer since the beginning. And so the devil is, is in the spiritual realm. And so murder is a demonic issue. It's where it begins. God makes life. Satan takes life. Satan loves it when people put other people to death wrongly, prematurely, unjustly. Jesus says, in the beginning, the Father made us, and in the beginning, Satan was a murderer. It dates all the way back. I mean, if you look all the way back to, to the early chapters of Genesis, the first two brothers in, that we see in the Bible, Cain and Abel. Abel was a godly man. His brother Cain murdered him. Murder begins with the first two brothers, the first two brothers that we have in the world. So murder has a long history in the world. And Jesus says, look, this is a demonic thing. This is what Satan does. He's trying to get people to do this. Satan wants to get people to kill each other unjustly. He's been that way since the beginning. Proverbs has a really great line, the book of Proverbs. It says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 36, God says this, all who hate me love death. All who hate me love death. So the further you get away from the God of the Bible and thinking like the God of the Bible, the more prone you become to move toward murder, the more okay you become with murder. But the more you read your Bible, the more you have the mind of Christ, the more you will love life. So this leads to another question. Obviously, there are questions, tons of questions, right? So can, like, for example, can the state take a life? Can the government, is there a time and place in governmental authority for a life to be taken? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Yes, it does. And it's in the New Testament, in Romans. God doesn't just tell us to, to not murder individually. He also gives commands to governments nationally. And one of them we find in Romans chapter 13, verses one through four, and it says this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Many of us know that line, right? So these are political leaders, right? And it says this, for there is no authority except from God. It's hard to understand this, I get it, but, but just listen, hang on. There is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. 
Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. So he doesn't carry a sword for no reason. So here's, here's what the Bible teaches. And this is a really difficult scripture, I think, for us to grasp today. The Bible teaches, and that verse, that series of verses there teach that God is the one who is in ultimate authority. And God who is in ultimate authority has delegated some authority to the state, to our political understandings all around the world. Apart from a biblical concept and notion of a sovereign God, what you end up with in the, absence, in, that, in the absence of that is either the sovereign individual or the sovereign state. And both of those can end up being evil. The sovereign individual is basically everyone does whatever they want, right? It's anarchy. The book of Judges talks about it this way. It says, it's the, book, the book of Judges says everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And when everyone just does what is right in their own eyes, there is, it, it, it never comes, it, it never, it's never good. So either sovereignty is sovereignty of the individual or it's sovereignty of the state. And the government in, is, is in the highest authority when, when the government that you live under in the highest authority over you has a tendency to abuse its authority, which it always will. And the reason why that happens is because government, that even government that is that is over us, that God says we are to be subjected to, is always going to be run by sinners. And so it's either we sinners individually are in charge of our own lives or sinners collectively in government capacity are in charge of our collective lives. Or, or God, who is sovereign over everyone and everything, and he is in position of highest authority. And so the Bible teaches that God is in the position of highest authority and that God speaks to us through his laws and, the, and that God's laws are then binding on all people in all times and all places. And that's how we get true justice. That's how we get true equality. Those are the things that, you know, th those things are, are uh, that, that pe the things that people who hate God cry out for are the things that only God can provide. Understand that. Justice and equality, when it comes to the, you know, the laws that oversee all nations and times and places and races and peoples, God calls all people to repent and live in obedience to what? To his commands. The problem comes when the people that are ruling over us aren't living in that way. And so then you have all other authority that's under God's authority is, is, is not innate authority. Government does not have innate authority. For example, a father, like I, I don't have innate authority. A pastor doesn't have innate authority. A business leader or a CEO, you know, CEO of a company doesn't have innate authority. All authority is derivative authority. It's borrowed from God. God says, if you have any authority at all, then you are subject to my authority. It's on loan from God. And so leaders then are to bear a particular responsibility to operate and to lead, to make decisions in a way that honors and agrees with God and his word and his laws and his ways. And that includes the state. That includes the, the government. God hands the governmental state a, a sword to oversee its citizens, basically to bring the justice in that 
this is not just taking of life. This is basically creating what I'm what it, what it means when when he does not hold the sword in vain. It's creating a context in which all of life is sacred, so that all of life can flourish. So one big you know question that comes up is, well, is there a t- is there ever a time? I mean, is there ever a time then when a, when a killing might be justified? Like for example, what about war? What about war? You know, does the government does does a nation ever have a right to go to war? Yes or no? Yes. You see war in the Old Testament. And I'm not saying that we're, theat- we're, we're not like the, the, uh, the theocracy of Israel. And, you know, God is our, is, is our, uh, is our uh, sovereign leader over this nation. Um, that's certainly not the case. But there are occasions where God's people obviously go to war. And, and there are even war heroes in the Bible like King David. King David was actually celebrated for his ability to kill a lot of men at war. That's, that's the man after God's own heart, King David. Uh, so you can't just throw that stuff away. I mean, you can't just ignore it, right? We have, we've got to talk about it when we talk about this. I mean, when, when, so we have to understand it in the whole context of the Bible, right? And so... Historically, as people have studied the scriptures who are much smarter than I am, and what I mean by studying the scriptures, I'm talking about studying the scriptures in their totality, not just proof texting or, you know, finding one verse here or there that will back up what they, what they feel is right, but really truly looking at all of scripture. Biblical Christian theologians and commentators have come up with this concept that you probably have heard, which is called just war, right? And there's a lot of things... A lot, of, a lot of questions about that even, right? And this is to say that there, yes, are certain times, there are times when wars are murderous. There are times when wars are murderous, meaning there are times when a war would, would violate the Sixth Commandment. But then there are other times when wars are not necessarily murderous, but it could be just. So generally speaking, there are some conditions, for example... Um, um, meaning, um, like, uh, I'm trying to think, okay, there are, there, what I mean by that, by wars that could be murderous, for example, uh, is, is, is it a, is it a, is it a government? Is it, is it a government fighting for, for, for a just cause? Or is it just a band of rebels like terrorists, anarchists? Um, is it not, is it not a legitimate authority? For example, um, is it defensive? Or, or offensive? Are you the one who is instigating hostility, um, or are you defending your citizenry? Citizenry? Are you? <laughs> um, another example is uh, that the commentators use is: is it proportional force? For example, if we, if you know, if twenty-seven terrorists um, are in a location that we know of. We don't drop a nuclear bomb on them. That wouldn't be proportional force. There would be a lot of casualties that, that would be innocent lives. Much greater damage than necessary would be done there. And so what we do there is we send in Navy SEALs for something like that, and they do a much better job than a nuclear bomb can do. Our soldiers, um, and not, you know, are, 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 is, you know, there's a difference between a soldier who, who, signs up knowing that this is what life is, this is what I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be doing. I could be defending my nation versus 
civilians, our soldiers being targeted in the war or our, our civilians being targeted. There are some governmental authorities who t- actually target civilians. And that's, yes, that is murder. Are there a bunch of innocent people who are, who are caught in the middle of it, of the trouble? Um, another uh, thing that uh, co- uh, commentaries talk, uh, theologians talk about is, um, does it ultimately preserve more lives than it takes? For example, is the you know is this war ultimately in the long run going to preserve more lives than it takes? Um, and uh, and then I, the last the last thing that I'll mention is is it a last resort? Uh, we've tried diplomacy and everything that we can possibly conceive of to resolve this peacefully, um, but there's a no available solution and war seems inevitable. And, and you have that. So admittedly, look, even in talking through some of those things, they're all difficult decisions and they're all difficult conversations. And people in Christian circles fall in many different categories of what they, what they believe based on reading the same scriptures. Theologians will debate every time a nation goes to war whether or not it, con- it constitutes a just war. And especially in our age, in an age of terrorism, and in an age of nuclear weaponry, and in the age of preemptive first strikes, and you know, I'm not going to pretend that this isn't complicated. I'm not going to pretend that I actually looked forward to preaching on this particular commandment. I actually was not looking forward on to it. And I feel like I'm botching it all up, but hopefully we're at least getting something out of this. That's why the Bible, I think, teaches us that we just got to pray. We got to pray. We got to pray for our leaders. We got to pray, even though they don't know the Lord, even though they, they are they might at, a, at times be an abomination to the teachings of the gospel and the teachings of the Lord. Pray that they would have the wisdom of the Lord, that God would miraculously impute the wisdom that he has to them, because that's what all of these cases require. So here's the good news in all of this. I'm just going to go ahead and bring this to a close, all right, because I'm afraid I'm bringing up more questions than answers. The good news is this. God is the living God. Our sin brings death, and yet it was through death that God brings forgiveness to us. Death is a horrible thing. But in the ultimate irony, in the ultimate of paradoxes, it was a murder that sets us free, that gives us forgiveness, that gives us grace. God became the man, Jesus Christ. And he began his time in the flesh as a baby, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And he grew up to hang on a cross and to be murdered. And among his final words as he was hanging there being killed, his father, forgive them. Jesus died so that murderers could be forgiven and changed. And he rose conquering all of death. And God's final word was not murder, but resurrection. That's the final word to all of this. And so the hope, the ultimate hope for the horrific sin of murder is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our sin murdered God, and he conquered sin and death through that killing. And he brings forgiveness and life to each one of us who calls on him for it. Let's, let's pray. Father, I, I just thank you I thank you for an opportunity to preach the Bible and teach the Bible today, even though it's not, this is never my preferred method for teaching and preaching. Um, I'd much rather be face-to-face with people in the same room, 
But God, I thank you so much that you're a loving father. You accomplish your purposes in, in, in a world that is so full of sin and trauma and horrors. And sometimes your will is accomplished in ways that, that may not have been your preferred method. <laughs> but because you're sovereign over all things, uh, you, you accomplish your will regardless. It means that we, we know that you're always working in and around us in all of our circumstances. And even when things seem so difficult for us to comprehend, you are still working. You're working. What that means is you're working in your church during this time of social separation. And uh, that's ca been caused by the coronavirus, something that we're at war with right now in a very weird way. It means that you're working in our culture right now during this time of civil unrest and political corruption and strife between the two sides of our political spectrum that just seems to be spiraling more and more ridiculously out of control every single day. But God, we trust that you are at work in that. We trust you. And God, we, we seek to be beacons of light and love and peace and grace and forgiveness in in our lives and in the lives of those that we come into contact with daily, even though it gets harder and harder to do so, God, we commit today and we ask for your help, God. We ask for your heart. We ask for the eyes of, of Christ. Give us your spirit. Give us your eyes that we might be able to see the world through the same lens that Jesus looked through as he looked out and saw a broken and corrupt generation who wanted to, who chose to murder him. And yet he said, Father, forgive them. God, help us today. Help us to, to choose to respond to people the way Christ responds to people. God, we can know how to do this because he, he came into the world that he created to set an example for us for how to love. And so, God, we respond to you now in worship and in praise As we conclude our time here together, may we be reminded that the way that we know how to comprehend difficult teaching, how to trust your word, how to give the same kind of love to others that Christ extended, we can know that because Jesus did it first. Jesus came to be that example for us. May that be the song that's on our heart all day today, God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.